0: podcast is rated effed up for profanity sexual violence and potentially disturbing material if i were you i'd turn back now welcome back to another exciting edition of the
1: macabre academy it's just stephanie this week i am one of your hosts kevin Brandy is off eating a Happy Meal, as far as I know, which could be slang for another another thing she's doing. I don't keep up with the kids' jargon these days. Or maybe she's having her Happy Meal eaten. Could go either way.
0: I was hoping you would make an innuendo. Oh, I was hoping. That's good.
1: So the voice you just heard is our lovely kitchen witch in the house, Steph. Steph, say hello. Steph, hello. There you go. So what are we doing this week?
0: Well, we, we, were, we were hanging out in Amityville. Last week for the mass murderers, murder massacre. It was a massacre of a whole family. All right. And you would think that the horror would be over, but it was only just beginning. Dun, 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 dun. Love the crutes. It's so good. I think we're all business at this point. We got all the the yuck yucks out. Now we're like balls deep.
1: You think so, but. uh...
0: Dude, uh, this is the best part, is the second part. Oh, the second part is always better than the first part, but I'm... So let me
1: run something by you here. Okay. This is not related to the story, but this is some shit that's happening in my life. My idiot neighbors put up a bird feeder, right?
0: Okay.
1: We've been getting a lot of rodents, including a couple of field mice who are running around here. So I put out some traps yesterday. I got one of the mice. Is it going too far to get a toothpick and put his little head on a pike? Is it a deterrent for other mice?
0: Yes. They're not going to register that.
1: Is that too far? I feel like that might be too far, though.
0: It's too far. Like, people see other dead people and go, oh, I probably shouldn't go over there. Dead mice see another dead mouse and are like, no, nah, I've got to find out what's over there. There's probably good snacks.
1: So, part one was last week. Go back and listen to it, because God knows we need the listens. Or watch it on YouTube. You can watch this on YouTube now. Link in the description. Also, Brandy's OnlyFans link in the description.
0: No, No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. We gotta get the link first. When Brandy starts her OnlyFans, we'll put the link in the description. I mean, she's already got a stripper name, so we're halfway there.
1: Was it on a bear?
0: I can't remember the next line. Nope, I got nothing. I just blank. So anyway, we're in Hamneyville, which is an
1: hour north of New York City. Whole family was murdered except for one dude. He gets convicted, later says he doesn't do it, insanity defense, fails, goes to jail, dies at age 69. That's where we're at. That's the short version. If you want the long version, go back and listen to last week's episode. So
0: You missed the conspiracy theory. I worked really hard on that. They have to listen. We can't
1: give it all away for free. They got to work for it. All right. You want to be a member of this academy, you got to put in work. I'm the, I'm the head mistress. I'm saying, you, I'm, I'm saying you as in the listener. Oh, yeah. If okay. the listener wants to be a part of this little
0: academy that we've got, you got to put in some work. Well, there's some juicy conspiracy theories on the Amityville massacre, the murders. Also, watching
1: a 17-pound cat climb up a seven, uh, five-foot cat tree, really adorable. You just did it while we were talking. I was watching.
0: You know, what's fun, for a good portion of my last videos, my cat was, like, jumping on counters and running around. She has made it her mission to undo all the work I did refinishing this apartment. I hand-painted all this, restored all of this. I built this with my own two hands, this property, which is why I can smoke in it. And my cat has decided to shred all of my brand new paint, all of it. She pulled an entire patch out of the bathroom flat wall, like right off. She's possessed. She's using her four paws to improve the living space. I have never thought about punt kicking a cat before in the face, but my my cat is a strong candidate. I'm just So now that
1: we've covered the cat portion of this episode, let's get back to where we once belonged, which is this house in Amneville. And the residents of the town believe that the horror is over. But oh, no, no. That was only the beginning, my dear friends. Our story resumes at 112 Ocean Avenue. It remained empty for 13 months, as something would do after a gruesome mass execution was taking place. This is a three-story, five-bath Dutch colonial with a pool and a boathouse in a wonderful neighborhood, and it was a steal at $80,000, as long as you don't mind some blood stains.
0: Oh, holes. They found that still in the wall, which is, boop, right in the wall.
1: The home was purchased by George and Kathy Lutz. They were married in July of 75. Both owned homes from previous marriages, but they wanted a fresh start as a new blended family with Kathy's three children uh, and the family dog, who was a Malamute and Labrador mix named Harry. And it was really a dream come true. A uh, small tangent, I was, looking at, I was looking at dog breeds once, and a corgi will fuck anything.
0: I love how you skipped over the kids' names and ages and went straight for the dog. <laughs> went right for the pupper. I got the important stuff in. Have you ever mm. seen a corgi-husky mix?
1: No. You need to Google it. Other search engines are available.
0: Okay. Well,
1: I will continue reading the notes while you look up a corgi-husky. It is the okay. most adorable thing on the planet. You can come at me if you want. I'm right.
0: Okay. Corgi Husky Mix. Corgi Husky Mix. Yes. Images. And then I'm going to share my screen of the puppies. because When a
1: home is subjected to a violent crime or even paranormal activity. Excuse me.
0: I can't. These dogs are adorable. Right. You can watch them on our YouTube feed now. Look how cute they are. Look at them. Yeah. Look
1: at (laughs) them. It, became, it becomes known as a stigmatized property. In some states, you're required by law to notify the sellers and inform them at the time of purchase so the Lutzes were well aware of the murders that, uh, that occur there at the time of the purchase. Uh, they decided it wouldn't be a problem because they're not superstitious people. In fact, all of the furniture was added to the purchase of the home for an additional $400 which really seems like quite a deal. Not gonna, have you priced out furniture lately? That shit's expensive.
0: Right, and that's like 70s. That's not Ikea shit. That was real wood furniture, like, back in the day.
1: <laughs> that's a, That that was a steal right there. hmm Friends of the Lutzes strongly advised that the home be blessed when they moved in due to its tragic history. George was a, Mar- a retired Marine, because your notes are wrong. There are no ex-Marines. Raised Methodist, but was no longer active. Kathy was a non-practicing Catholic, but she was familiar with the rites. George contacted a local, friendly neighborhood priest, Father Ralph J. Caro Thank you, Rome For the yeah, we're going to go. With, yeah, in some accounts, the name Father Mancuso was used instead to protect the priest's identity. He was a judge of the Catholic courts and a trained psychotherapist family moved in December 18th, 75 and George said some weird shit just started happening. Yeah. Pretty much. Immediately.
0: Yeah. Trigger warning. What's that? It's a small trigger warning. If you like dogs.
1: Oh yes, we must, we must all of our episodes just have a blanket trigger warning. Mm-hmm. Within hours arriving at the property, Harry, the dog almost hung himself when he attempted to jump the fence with a leash That was either too long or too short because he was just dangling on the other side.
0: Now, I I ride this off immediately as a happening because it was the first day in the house. That stupid cunt just didn't appropriately measure the leash of said dog for said yard. Okay, It was their first day in the house. First day. And this dog jumps the fence and the the cord was long enough to let him jump the fence. And then he's just dangling by a leashy noose. On the other side, like just measure your pet's leash, guys. You you need to shorten that shit. Okay, it's day one. I don't I don't know that that was ooh, happening, but they listed that immediately as as incident number one for the house. Poor pupper. I know. Take care of your goddamn dog. If you're gonna put it on a leash outside, measure the goddamn leash so he doesn't hop the fence and almost, you know, suffocate.
1: I hope he got lots of pets afterwards he better have ear rubs or maybe a tail rag it would be great yes yes anyway father ralph came sometime that afternoon as he moved his way through the home and the moving boxes he sprinkled holy water as one does he reported that the home was unusually cold he also reported being slapped and hearing a male demonic voice demanding that he get out Not wanting to scare them, he simply told the Lutzes not to use the bedroom that they had intended to turn into a sewing room, but he had no real explanation as to why.
0: Fun fact for you, the room that they had chosen for the sewing room belonged to the DeFeo boys, the ones that the the, the two small children, two young boys had been shot in. They didn't know that at the time, okay? That was not public knowledge. Okay, but for days, George states that he found himself waking up from a dead sleep around three fifteen in the morning on multiple occasions. So he had some pretty serious insomnia starting to manifest here. As you would recall, this is the estimated time that of the Defeo murders, okay, three fifteen in the morning, between three and three thirty in the morning. And he heard a bunch of strange noises. Now, normally you hear, you know, New noises when you move into a house, the house is settling, you know, dishwasher might go off. Okay, okay, okay. But he said he heard footsteps um, and screams and things, which led to restlessness over the following weeks. Now, George got sicker and sicker with a constant chill and erratic behavior that caused him to miss a substantial amount of work. His personality also began to change with sudden outbursts of anger, okay, along with an obsession of chopping wood and continually building fires uh, to keep warm. Now, uh, Kathy, I really feel like you should read the next one. You want me to read the next one? Yeah, yeah, let's shake it up a little. Can you read the next one about what Kathy thought was going on? Sure. Sure. Uh,
1: Kathy confirmed that she felt the presence of a woman who kept following her around. The house also had two rooms that were almost constantly infested with flies, uh, which would have been rare in midwinter. We tried to find weather reports from that time, but all we could find was little to no snowfall until January of 76, and it didn't seem to be unseasonably warm. Kathy also found a small room in the basement behind a shelving unit that had been painted red with a strange odor. The dog cowardly ran away from it. Uh, it was not in the original housing plan, and there was no reason to explain its purpose. She was also plagued by lucid dreams of the murders to the point she had known in which order the family had died, which had never been released to the public at that point. The family also re. Reported random spots appearing on the carpets, the toilets, the bathroom fixtures, turning black and a sickening scent of old perfume and being tormented by a greenish black slime. The youngest child, Missy. Oh, wait. Yeah, this is me.
0: This is me right here. Okay. You, you, I love this part. This is my favorite part. Okay. So Missy. Okay. Stated. She went to her mom and she was like, do angels talk? And her mom's like, yeah, yeah, angels talk. Okay. Okay. So this point, Missy's like, dude, I got an angel. Okay. And uh, its name was Jody. And she described Jody as a large pig. Pig. That sat outside her window. Telling her it was happy that she had come to live in the house forever. Now, George claimed to see eyes. Wait, hold on. Let's, let's step back here a second.
1: Okay. Was the the pig happy that it was in the house forever or the kid?
0: That the kid had come to live with in the house forever. Okay. Yeah. It's like, thanks for moving in. You're going to live with me forever. It's creepy, right? George claimed to see eyes in her bedroom window staring out at him when he would walk from the boathouse at night. And sometimes he would walk in on Missy playing with her toys and all of a sudden her little rocking chair would start moving back and forth all on its own. And the family had also found cloven hoof prints in the snow outside of the house. Okay, so they've translated uh, Jody the pig into a pig demon is how they have interpreted this. Now, there were so many great pig demons demon stories from around the world that could have possibly explained Jody if we're actually looking at it from an occult point of view. Okay. Um but the best reference I could find since the family was Christian comes from the Bible. And it's this great story. I have to tell it. I have to tell it. Okay. When Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Gareth okay they're traveling They meet a demon-possessed man living by the tombs. The demon sees Jesus approaching and says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, don't torment me, as per Mark chapter 5 or 7. Now Jesus tells the demon to leave the man's body and asks his name. The demon says his name is Legion. And then begs to enter a herd of 2,000 pigs. Jesus then gives permission. Every demon from Legion to enter the pigs. And then commanded them to jump into the sea and drown. When the people hear about this, they beg Jesus to leave. When Jesus is entering his boat to go, the man who had been possessed by the demon's begs to go with Jesus, but he would not allow it. He says, go to your house, to your friends, and tell them the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy upon you. Via Mark, uh, also 5, verse uh, 19. Now, under Old Testament law, not only was eating pork forbidden, but even touching the meat of swine made one ritualistically unclean as per Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse eight, this further insulates, it it, it isolates. Okay. The Israelites from pagan practices, because there are a lot of pigs uh, and pagan deities, but bacon is so yummy. I know the pagans love the pigs. They often use them as a sacrifice and they uh, ate them on the wreck. So Christianity really wanted to separate itself from these exotic pagan peoples. Okay, you didn't want them to have anything to do with the pigs, since the pagan loved the pigs so much. So I guess you're a heathen if you love the pigs. Okay, so it makes sense. But por- I mean, that- pork butt. Oh, it's the best. Well, apparently, pork butt is the perfect vessel for holding the demons. Okay, so it's not uncommon. That's why you see- got to cook it low
1: and slow to get the get the evil energy out. <laughs>
0: You gotta cook the devil out of it.
1: <laughs>
0: so it wouldn't be that strange for a Christian family to see a demon pig, I guess. If you if you really want to go with it, like maybe one of the, the, the legion pigs had escaped drowning and was now residing outside of this little girl's window. I don't know. I don't know. But friends of the family advised George and Kathy to take a crucifix from room to room reciting the Lord's prayer, you know, our father who art in heaven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When they have it a go, they hear a chorus of voices telling them to stop. And it seemed to agitate the activity. So they attempted to reach back out to father Ralph to return to finish blessing the house. But every time they called, there seemed to be extreme interference and the call could not be completed to this day. Okay. The final day that they spent on the house after all this weird activity, okay, they never say what happens on their last day. They said it was too traumatic for them, so they can't talk about it. Listen, bitch, we need answers. I know. What was so bad? What was so fucking bad that made you run? They didn't say what it was, okay? But after 28 days in the home of all this stuff compounding, they fled in the early hours of the morning on January 14, 1976. They went to Kathy's mother's house. But here is where it gets
1: interesting. George contacts uh, Stephen Kaplan, paranormal investigator, vampirologist, and founder slash director of the Vampire Research Center and the Parapsychology Institute of America, both of which were founded in Suffolk County, New York, and he worked closely with his wife, Roxanne. Uh, the Lutzes were notified that the Kaplans offered a free public service and would publicly announce their findings of the investigation regardless of the outcome. After the Kaplans are interviewed by a local newspaper about the upcoming investigation, George contacts them and to decline their services under the promise that he wanted to keep the Parallax Paranormal activity on the down low. Little late for that. Ironically, earlier that day, George had been at a press conference organized by William Weber, defense attorney for Ron DeFeo Jr., and Newsday. He was in the middle of an appeal of the murder conviction and the media coverage of the Lutz's home would help with Ron's claims of demonic possession. As proof that he was not in his right mind at the time of the murders. And he really did need to give legitimacy to his insanity fence. It gets juicier because Weber had been approached by Paul Huffman, a freelance news writer during this time, about a large advance for a book and movie deal. Weber wanted to meet with George and Kathy saying that he wanted to get more information about their experiences so he could properly get Ron psychiatric treatment and possibly religious counseling.
0: So one evening, okay, Weber and the Lutzes sit down for hours. Like they ballpark this between 9 ish PM to 3 AM ish over several bottles of wine. Okay. Discussing the haunting of their home. Now, in the process of this, Weber shares a lot of details about the crime, including candid crime scene photography. Okay. Most of the conversation had been recorded on cassette tape. And some of the details that Weber gave strongly correlated with the claimed paranormal activity. And I say clean because this is very suspicious, okay? As the Lutzes tell their story over time, more and more details about the haunting comes out. Originally, it was just a couple of details, okay? And as the story progresses, you get more and more and more haunting information, okay? So Weber goes, here, look at photographs of the fingerprint powder all over the house, right? When they were sweeping for the prints. And the Lettsis go. Oh, look! That's the same color of the slime we keep seeing—that greenish black. Weber's like, "Hey, here's a photograph, photograph of Don's bedroom on the third floor with lots of dead flies in it because that's the that body was in there." Oh man, we got two rooms full of flies. The Lettsis say. So basically, every photo they were presented with, those details were the most vivid. In the book, okay. To me, it sounds like they're they're creating this story on the spot at this point. Um, at the end of the conversation on recorded cassette tape, okay, Weber, George, and Kathy can be heard discussing uh, cutting a deal over the rights, including percentages. Since Weber was in the middle of a book deal with Ronald Jr., he sent a contract over the next day-ish to the Let's residence suggesting that uh, Ronnie or Butch should receive 5% of the proceeds. Now, George did not want Ronnie to get paid for essentially murdering his whole family and his part in their story. And he goes dead silent and falls off the radar completely. Okay. Channel 5 gets a hold of the story. And they want the scoop. Now, after (laughs) uh, all of this, a reporter, Laura Didio, reaches out to George and Kathy. Because she believed their story and believed that the family was truly in a state of terror and needed help. Despite George's protests of media coverage for this, she organizes a giant investigation on the evening of March 6th. Now, she calls in heavy hitters like Ed and Lorraine Warren, a psychic Mary Downey, and reporter Marvin Scott. Now, it's a big deal that Ed and Lorraine Warren were there. Kevin, please tell me why. What? why it was a big deal that Ed and Lorraine were there. Who are they?
1: Oh, I should probably stop doing the end of this podcast and pay attention to what's going on now. So Ed and Lorraine Lauren were American paranormal investigators and authors associated with prominent cases of alleged hauntings. Edward is a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lecturer. Lorraine professed to be clairvoyant and a light, trans-medium who worked closely with her husband. The two were devout Catholics and often worked closely with the church. The pair often said that those lacking in faith were the easiest targets for demonic activity, so I am fucked. In 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society of Paranormal Research, the NESPR, the oldest goat-hunting group in New England. Uh, they use a variety of individuals, including medical doctors, researchers, cops, nurses, students, and members of the clergy in its investigations. The, they have authored many books about the paranormal and about their private investigations and in the various reports of paranormal activity. They claim to have investigated well over 10,000 cases during their careers. Oh. Uh, Let's see. We can do most of their famous cases if you want. So uh, slide into our DMs.
0: Yeah, they were a big deal. I mean, uh, most people know the Warrens from the uh, Conjuring universe with Annabelle and stuff. Um, they actually did have a haunted artifact museum with Annabelle locked in a case. You couldn't touch her because they considered her haunted, blah, blah, blah. So calling them in there to investigate this, this is the case that put them on the map. This is their first big case. And they're going in to a famous murder house um, and they are bringing in news crews. Okay, big deal. Um, And George (laughs) wouldn't even step foot on the property. Okay, and he tells them before they even get there, he's kind of like, whatever was there was very intelligent and very impatient. Its abilities were more powerful than we really understand. And he's like, I I don't want anywhere near this. Now, Lorraine is hearing this, seeing this, walks up to this house, because she's a psychic, and she says, I understand. Because she described it in immense foreboding as soon as she set eyes on the house and it was clear to her that this house was infested by inhuman spirits. Now, Laura says something very interesting about this uh, investigation for the documentary. She says, I'm a reporter. Okay. And I experienced nothing while I was in the house, but there seemed to be a lot of strange behavior From the attendees of the investigation. And that is what she documented. Okay. So she doesn't say it was, or wasn't haunted. She says, this is what I saw. Okay. But I didn't, I didn't feel nothing. I didn't see any demons. Okay. You got news crammers walk around too. Crammers? Okay. now what? Yeah. That word, you know, into English. Okay. This is, this is what pisses me off. Okay. This is why when I do ghost investigations, I don't do this. I don't want to know about a location before I walk into it. Okay. This was not done on any scientific basis. It was not done as a blind experiment. Okay. They all knew walking into this house, this guy says this is possessed by demons. There's a famous murder case associated with this house. They have given them all the fuel they needed. So you could have subjected them to placebo, to group think. Okay. Best intentions by calling in heavy hitters, but there's a road to hell here. Okay. You're setting people up to walk into a house and have an experience. It's kind of like if you tell somebody a house is haunted, even if it's not, they're going to experience something because some people are, really, you know, and you have these famous psychics, like I have an opportunity here to get in touch with the most evilest thing we've ever seen because this entire family was murdered. No, you go in blind, blind. That's how you do these, okay? But regardless, they they all walk in, okay? And here's what happens, okay? Steve, Mr. Cameraman, gets to the second floor landing, doubles over, shooting chest pains out of nowhere, okay? Nobody calls an ambulance, couldn't be a heart attack. No, 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 it was the demons. So then we have our new psychic friend, Mary, with no credentials that I could find, except for being a TV psychic, okay, uh, becomes states that she's overwhelmed with the feeling of a teenager's depressive guilt, like he had just done something that fucked up his entire life. She also reported seeing a little girl's face in a window above her with weeping sounds she could hear. Nobody else heard the weeping, just Mary. And she encouraged the little girl to find the light. So then they begin the seance. Now, Lorraine states that she feels evils from the deepest boughs of hell. And she, know, she hopes she never gets closer to hell than this at that moment. Okay. Now, Mary's saying, oh, no, we're surrounded by hooded figures. They all look like monks. They're surrounding us at, at, at every corner. Okay. Nobody else saw them. And as the holy water is flicked through this seance, which is not part of a seance, but they added it, you could actively hear sizzling upon impact, though uh, I heard no sizzling. Now, Ed Warren leads an expedition to the basement with a crucifix outstretched in his hand, and then he stops and goes, oh, no, I feel a giant legions of demons giving me pushback. I don't know if I can make it down the stairs. Okay. News camera was there, picked up Jack and shit. Jack and shit. They're, the cameraman and, and, and Laura look at each other and go, We don't have anything for TV. This is nothing. It's just people re- reacting. There's no physical evidence. Now, after, well, first of all, what do you think of this investigation? Am I wrong? Am I presenting this in a bad way? Do you think that the, maybe these people really were psychic? I'm just full of poppycock and pompom stance or whatever. What what do you think? My personal opinion? Do you think the house is haunted? No. If you saw these investigators going through and saying, I feel demons, would you believe them? No. No. Okay. So after all of this pomp and circumstance and bullshit, they decided they have nothing basically. Okay. You're a good dog and pony show. Right. I mean, it was, it was quite the theatrics in my, my humble opinion. Okay. But this is the interesting part, okay? There was a stationary camera set off on the second floor landing. And it was set on a timer to take off photos on intervals. Now, someone years later, going through those photographs, found something. And the picture is the only thing that gives me pause for a moment. So I'm going to share my screen. And Kev, you describe what you were seeing, okay? All right, we're gonna do the thing. All right, share and go.
1: So, the picture in the notes is, which I'm assuming is the same one Steph is showing. It's you've got a banister, you got a couple of doors, you've got this weird fucking lion thing going on on the wall, and don't know what that's all about. That might be the most disturbing thing in the fucking picture, I'm not gonna lie. And sticking out of the door though, is like the entire upper torso of a young boy
0: that freaked me out that looks exactly like my twin brother peeking out that that just that gave me a moment where i was like what the fuck is this right here now i, fa- I found some things where people tried to see that this photo itself was a hoax. Um, I couldn't find any compelling evidence. I do love apparition photos. Okay, so I'm going to stop sharing my screen. But that picture freaked me the fuck out. You have a theory on this, though. I do. Yeah, it was in my notes. But hang in there with me, okay? I don't believe this house was subjected to legions of demons. I I think there's a lot of shenanigans. Okay, I call shenanigans. Uh, better go get my broom. Mm-hmm. But I do believe in the power of the mind. And I believe very strong strongly in a tolpa effect. Kat, okay, do you remember what tolpas are? Because it's been a while since I talked about the tolpa effect. Is that the thing at Taco
1: Bell? Like it's like a burrito inside like an enchilada. No. Oh.
0: Tulpas we saw in supernatural, we see them in Buddhism as well. So if enough people believe in a thing they can send their energy to that thing and it manifest okay so P, there there are experiments where people were like there's a poltergeist here and scientists set up a blind experiment blind room nothing to it told people that it was haunted and they manifested poltergeist like activity okay so i believe if you attention if you uh, focus your attention enough on something and enough people do it you can give it enough energy to manifest because they do believe in paranormal. Okay, I do. All right, I believe in the supernatural, I believe in the otherworldly. I have my own occult beliefs. So this is something I believe very strongly in. My theory from the witch, why in the witch and the audacity of this bitch. I know. Yep. I believe you put enough people in this house believing that it was haunted, that it might have given this ghost of this little boy who did try it traumatically, tra traumatically traumatically and tragically in his sleep, enough juice to manifest. There's an imprint on the house. Okay. There's trauma there. Do it's, do I believe it's from a demon? No, fuck your demons. Fuck your devil. Okay. Fuck all your Catholic shit. Okay. But that doesn't change that people died in the house. And you sent a bunch of psychics, I put that in quotes, psychics into a house. You put a camera crew on it and you said, this place is haunted. There's ghosts here. There's there's demons here. You gave it enough power through the Tolpa effect to possibly give this little boy a chance to peek his head around the corner and be seen. If this photo is legitimate. Because I don't believe the house is haunted. So, Mythy claims to recognize the photo when George brings it to her years later, saying she used to play with that little boy in the house after the fact, I don't know. I don't know. But the fact that there was a role of film that was developed years later and it was plain, plain room, plain room, plain room, plain room. And all of a sudden little boys popping out of it, plain room. And there was not a little boy in that house and they have video footage of it. I don't think that was a hoax because it wasn't included until years after this investigation this wasn't originally released with the investigation at all so i that is the one thing that made me go Ooh, chills so the bank seizes the property at this point
1: everything they owned was auctioned off and the Lutzes moved to california to escape the publicity despite the lack of hard paranormal evidence in this story it, beca- it became uh, continually sensationalized.
0: We're putting a pin in this. Pin. 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 We need a sound effect for that. I don't know if Sound has a good little pin. Sound I Maiden, get on it, it, put it. Find something to... Ping. Yeah.
1: On January 13th, 1977, Laura... Uh, Ideal that... Um, yes, for her. ...and Weber returned to the home... With legendary Dr. Hans Hollitzer, an Austrian-American author and psychotherapist. No, parapsychologist. Yes, he's a parapsychologist. That's the word I'm groping for. Mm -hmm. He has written more than 120 books on the supernatural and occult subjects for popular market, as well as several plays, musical films, and documentaries. So the doctor and spiritual medium, Ethel Myers, led the investigation. Myers claims that the house had been built over ancient Native American burial grounds and the angry spirits of the shine cook. Yeah, we'll go with that. Indian chief Rolling Thunder had possessed the previous occupant, Ronald DeFeo Jr., uh, driving him to murder his family. Laura describes how Ethel seemed to... Physically change as she was on the property, she appeared to manifest an Adam's apple, and her voice drops at least seven octaves. Photographs taken at the scene revealed curious abner- an abnormality.
0: Anomalies. Abnormal yeah. I like the word better. That's better. Yeah, anomalies was the word I was trying. Yes, to. that's what you have in your notes. I prefer abnormalities. That's a better word. It's longer. It makes us sound smart.
1: Such as the halos which appeared in the supposed images of bullet marks made in the original 74 murders. Not 74 murders, the murders that occurred in 1974. He also explains that a, sy- a strong psychic field, in a strong psychic field, sound is inhibited and, had, and he had seen it in other cases. Question mark.
0: Yeah, we're not sure. He didn't explain. When I watched him talk on this case, he said this "This is really common where you get this uh, psychic field created and it can insulate the sound in that bubble, that psychic bubble, and nobody can hear the sound outside of that bubble. And he said he's seen it before, but he didn't say where.
1: This is allegedly how Ronnie Jr. managed to off his family member's with no one else hearing a single shot.
0: He fired nine from a rifle. He's the first person to offer. Last episode. I can listen. Yeah. But he was the first person to offer an explanation as to why there was no sound. Just the dog barking. So how did the dog sound get out then? Is the dog outside? Anyway, we're not
1: going to get it. This is the only.
0: Look, look, he's the only one to weigh in on it. Okay. So it had to go in there.
1: So, the claim that the house is built on Indian sacred land, and actually, we're going to change this because it's actually Native American sacred land. Steph, you need to get your wokeness up. However, this was denied by the local historical society and is pointed out that it was the Manitoc Native Americans, not the Shine Cooks, who had been the original settlers of the area. Uh, Holzer went on to write several books about the subject, both fiction and nonfiction.
0: He had a pretty unique take, if you will. Now, I remember Hans Holzer prior to this case, just like the Warrens. Now, my grandmother, okay, had one of his tomes on her shelf, the good Catholic that she was. She had this big tome from him, and it just sent ghosts on the spine my mother-in-law threw it out I'm upset it's a very expensive book it's really hard to replace especially printing from the 70s okay um he had some pretty fantastic ideas on a documentary i watched okay they went out of their way to explore Holster's ideas okay um it did state that the Mono- the the Indi- the native americans did believe that that land was a power spot or possibly infested by demons and they decided this because they interviewed chief straight arrow from the current tribe of long island as the acting chief okay i guess they still have like uh, an indigenous peoples reserve or something i don't i don't know the guy looked pretty nuts to me but um he said that the tribal enemies or anyone said to be possessed by evil spirits were left to die on that land and were buried face down um, so that they would be forced to stare into the dark abode that their spirit was sent to join, okay? Uh, Further investigation or claims on that land followed suit, okay? And it said that it was cursed back during the Salem witchcraft trials of the late 1600s. Now, there was this guy named John Ketchum, which I lost my shit because I was thinking "Ask asked Ketchum. A great name. Ketchum all. Right. Okay. So he was a man who had set up residence near the Ocean Avenue property after being forced to flee from Massachusetts for practicing witchcraft. Now, he continued to practice said devil worship until his death on that property, they said. And his body might be buried somewhere around there. Now, enough people saw this. Okay, and they dug through old property deeds and they think it is plausible that Ketchum was a guy. There's even a street named after him in Amityville. But they couldn't find anything about crime being convicted of crimes of witchcraft in Massachusetts. Okay, I eh. okay, so we see more and more of these theories emerging from the book. The Amityville Horror release, uh, the book, okay, released on September 13th, 1977. Now, this is the first real novel coming out of its author, Jay Anson, who had, up until this point, mild to moderate success with several documentary shorts that he wrote. Um, But this book that he wrote ran out, okay, they completely sold out of its first printing of 25,000 copies. At this time, it's picking ba- backing off the success of the Exorcist book and subsequent films. So you're looking at 73, 74. Okay, and then you get 74, 75 murders of the of this house. Okay. And then you get this demonic shit going on in 76. Okay. Now there's a lot of criticism as to the truthfulness of said book. And Jay, he says, I'm a writer. And his job was to sell this story based on true events. He made millions. And apparently the Let's only received about $200,000 from the rights to this book. But George, to the day he died, attested that Jay had gotten it the most accurate from those 28 days in hell. George went on to sue MGM. For the liberties they took on his story when the film hit the screen on July 27th of 1979, he said that the story was scary enough, and they didn't have to add all that stuff. I think they were embarrassed that, like that, that they had him attempting to murder his kids and shit. I don't fucking know. I don't know. The more you dig into the haunting of Amityville House, okay, you find more people regard those paranormal claims as a hoax okay the story progressively gets more and more extreme there's no evidence that was verifiable such as um uh apparently the window slammed on the kid's hand like out of nowhere and George was like oh I took the kid to the hospital there's no hospital records oh no just kidding we fixed it at home like there's more and more stuff like that right there's also this great snippet from Ireland. Okay. Do you remember Ireland in part one, the neighbor? Yes. His house had been commandeered for the investigation, right. Of the immediately following the, the, the morning of the murder. Okay. He had a Persian cat that the DeFeos called pig because of how fat it was. And it liked to sit outside of Missy's window. Okay. Also, with all of this staining, this slime, you got bullet holes, you got windows slamming, you got bugs, you got all this shit. It sounds like a lot of property damage would have occurred from all this paranormal activity, right? Wrong. The house was purchased after the Lettses by a family of called Cromedy was their last name, and. They said that there were no stains, there was no paranormal activity, nothing needed their attention. The house was absolutely perfect as it was; nothing was wrong with it. Nothing was wrong with it. Before I before I wrap this up with a with a Steffi kind of summary of the final thoughts, Kev, how do you feel about the haunting of the Amityville house?
1: I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, I I don't.
0: Okay, I think it's pretty clear that I think this house was never haunted. Okay, which I'll which I'll touch in a second. Okay, but the reason I I, I have developed a new little thing. I'm I'm calling Steph's conspiracy corner.
1: Birds aren't real. Utah's not real. And and COVID is a plot by Big Pet and Big Office Furniture.
0: <laughs> right. So we're calling this Steph's Conspiracy Corner, okay, because this was not in anything that I read. This was not in any podcast I listened to. This is me stringing some shit together, okay? This is Stephie's Conspiracy Corner. This one, I came up all on my own, okay? Okay. You know how I said The Exorcist came out in 73? Yes. Okay. There was a lot of Catholic religious propaganda at this time coming from movies. Okay. I got a lovely little list here. Do you want to rattle those off real quick? All right.
1: So we're, we're dealing with the Catholic religious movie propaganda at that time. Yes?
0: Yeah. Just give me those first couple bullets. What What are we looking at?
1: at rosemary's baby which came out in 68 the exorcist in 73 the omen in 76 carrie in 76 the amityville horror in 79
0: okay that's a span of about roughly 10 years that's a lot of heavy hitting movies that are cult classics today and that was very present like they were popular movies in their time they weren't b movies they weren't They weren't box office flops, okay? These things went like 70s viral, okay? Everybody saw them. Everybody talked about them, okay? And these are all Catholic and Christian dogma, okay? Now, there were some very famous cases from the Warrens coming out about this time. Do you want to give me those uh, one, two, three, four, four bullets of their major cases at that time?
1: We have Annabelle in sixty eight, a the Perron family haunting in seventy one, Amneville in seventy five, and the Enfield poltergeist in seventy seven.
0: Yeah. Okay. So they found their they founded their society in fifty two, but they didn't hit the public media attention really until Amneville in nineteen seventy five. But they were very active in investigating these famous hauntings. Okay. Who you can answer this question on the last bullet? Who did the Warrens work with? Uh the Catholic Church. Okay. Catholic movies. Major publicized uh, uh hauntings being investigated by Catholic paranormal investigators, okay? These are real themes of good versus evil in these stories that violate the safety of home for ordinary people. Okay? what if these weren't just hoaxes by the owners and the defense lawyers for the DeFeo? Okay. What if they were also pushed by the Catholic church? What if these movies and these books were funded to help scare atheists back into the church pews? Case in point. Okay. They're going to make money off of this, the church, the exorcist made 441 million worldwide. Okay. And it did so well because 28% of Americans are Catholic, with an additional 49.8% in other sects of Christianity. So these themes would have been very recognizable to most Americans. Okay. So you're looking at over 70%. Okay. They never glorify the evil. Okay. But they do reinforce a need for faith in God. So it makes sense to me that the richest organization in the world they should pay tax. Would, would play into this shit. Oh, you're going to love this. Okay, ready? The Holy See and the Vatican is known for taking donations from the church plates, okay, <laughs> worldwide and using a proportion of them to invest in stocks, bonds, and real estates, Okay. They allocate those funds and those proceeds into additional private enterprises to generate additional revenue. Revenue. Thank you. Revenue. They have their hands in several stock markets. Church, in the stock market, including the New York Stock Exchange. They are moving around trillions of dollars in secrecy. This case was talking about a book deal from the get-go, and the church probably was like, fuck it, send the warrants, okay? That helps essentialize the story. It hits the news. They invest in these books and these movies on the downflow. Boom, an influx of donation from people returning to the church to stave off possible demonic shit. That's put money back into the pockets of the church. It sounds like a great way to make money for me. Am I nuts?
1: I mean, yes, but no.
0: I feel like it's an investment. And it worked. It worked. Okay. Why don't you give me the last two bullets to to sum up this case now that my crazy conspiracy theory is out there.
1: I kind of lost track of where we were, to be honest with you. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Yeah, I believe in you. That makes one of us. Fun fact. Amityville was flooded with tourists after the book and movie. It was a boost to the local economy, but the influx was more than the town could handle. People were parking on the neighbor's property, picnicking and camping outside the home. They were also ripping off chunks of the house and taking things from the yard as souvenirs. It was pretty much a fucking circus. It was a very closed-door society where they were super embarrassed and wanted their quiet, rich neighborhood back. The house has been on the market four different times since the murders. It was last listed in June 2016 and sold in March 2017 for $605,000. I don't know if that included the furniture at the time, but you know. It was one of the most publicized haunted homes ever in America, and the iconic eye windows have been replaced
0: to make the house more marketable for resale. It's like the family, so people don't camp out on the yards anymore. It makes the house harder to find, even though you have the exact street address and Google Maps. Right. But other GPS services available? I'm
1: sure. a big fan of ways. Sure.
0: That's it. That's all I got. That is my big, deep dive into Amneyville. What would you think? Did you enjoy the ride, or was I being weird, weirdly excessive again?
1: I mean, you're always weirdly excessive. That's what I love about you. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So, despite my crazy conspiracy theories, please tell me you have a weird but true.
1: I do have a weird but true.
0: Yeah, I need a. I need a true
1: thing. In 1900, the secretary of the Navy wanted to use the USS Constitution as target practice until it was sunk. A benefactor offered to buy it, but was refused. So he started a campaign to successfully pressure Congress into saving it. Built in 1797, it is now the oldest ship still afloat.
0: Nice.
1: I guess I need to pick a number, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah. My non-house points, offense, non-offensive dares, just because we can.
1: I don't know. I don't even know what numbers there are.
0: Just pick one for me. Okay, pick page. We're gonna do what I did with Brandy. Pick one page one, two, or three. 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 Okay, so I'm going to blindly point at the page, and whenever one's not picked closest to my finger. That's how we're gonna. Oh. Okay. Christmas is coming. So your non-offensive dare is to make a handmade present for someone. There you go. Yeah. I mean, they already got Christmas shit in the store and it's not even fucking Halloween yet. Never too soon to start making things for Christmas, but not too soon to buy things. Oh, for us parents, for you parents out there, uh,
1: supply chain issues are really fucking up deliveries. So if you want to buy some shit for your kids for Christmas, start now.
0: Yeah, I already started looking at stuff because Evie's birthday is in November. So, fucked. That's it. That's all she wrote. I still don't know what our next case is, so you're going to be as surprised as as we are. We'll figure it out. Pretty much. All right, since I fucked it up last time, you do it.
1: All right, everybody. Tune in next week. Same bat time, same bat channel, same bat expired parents coupons. We'll see you then. Good night.
0: Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Nerdy Witch in partnership with Sound Maiden. We want to thank all of our wonderful Patreons. For updates, please follow the Macabre Academy on Facebook. Remember to like, share, and listen exclusively on Buzzsprout. Soon, we'll be available wherever you listen to podcasts.